Hello, this is Scott Jens. Welcome to Sandbox Stories. Hello, welcome to this Sandbox story, which is an interview with Dr. Nate Lighthizer. Dr. Lighthizer is on faculty and associate dean at Northeastern State University College of Optometry in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. He's also the director of continuing education. Dr. Lighthizer, welcome to Sandbox Stories. Thanks, Dr. Jens. Appreciate it. I'm excited to be here and excited to chat with you in our Sandbox Stories. Hey, you're from Bismarck, North Dakota. What a great place. Born and raised in North Dakota. I feel very fortunate to have been born in North Dakota. I guess everybody's born somewhere, right? And uh, born and raised in North Dakota, really uh, not so much rural. I mean, everybody thinks of North Dakota as rural, but I was kind of in the big city from North Dakota being in Bismarck, a town of about, oh, 50, 60,000 and uh, grew up, you know, there and, and playing sports and doing things like that. So uh, went to high school in, in North Dakota, undergrad in North Dakota, met my wife there, um, and I guess the rest is history. I mean, what more can you ask for? At least it wasn't Minot, or I, I don't want to make any uh, any slights to anybody in North Dakota. Why not Minot, right? That's the saying, why not Minot? So uh, there you go. So you played a lot of sports growing up. You, you said you had a, a wonderful family experience growing up. What did your parents do? Yeah, my, my mom is an x-ray tech, now retired. My dad uh, worked at the North American Coal Corporation up in uh, central North Dakota. Great parents, had a great upbringing. Um, my dad worked, worked there for 39 years. He retired three years ago, worked his, all, worked his way all the way up to vice president of uh, the, the Falkirk Mine, and they're both retired, and now they're, they're enjoying their early to mid-60s and traveling and visiting the grandkids uh, my sister and her husband, her husband's a dentist in Williston, North Dakota, the heart of oil country. You remember oil country up in North Dakota? Williston is the heart of oil country. That's where my sister and her husband live, a couple of kids. And then we have a couple of kids down here in, in Oklahoma. So the grandkids are traveling a decent amount, uh, uh, or the grandparents, I should say, to visit those grandkids. One of my very good friends, my brand guru, buddy Dave, gets us from North Dakota and very well understands the or the oil parts of North Dakota. <laughs> You you talked about playing sports growing up. You were a collegiate golfer. Uh, I'm curious what you would feel you could say athletics did for you and your personality and just who you are. Sure. Yeah, I, I played baseball, basketball, and football in high school, and then I decided to golf in college, which doesn't often add up. It's like you didn't play golf in in high school, but you golfed in college. And I, I grew up a baseball player, and you know baseball, basketball, football, it teaches you that team aspect of you. You got to rely on the other guys on your team and that camaraderie that you have. And I think that's similar to being on faculty as uh, uh, here at a college of optometry. You got to rely on your other faculty members, your residents, your students. Um, and even, you know, you're, if you're in a group practice. You got to rely on the other doctors and your staff to work together for the betterment of patient care. So certainly that helped. And then when you talk about college golf, 
you know, it's just you now and you, we don't have caddies in college golf like they do in the pros, but I think it teaches you discipline. I think it teaches you to do the right thing when it's just you out there and, you know, um, you know, could I kick my ball a little bit this way or a little bit that way to improve the lie when nobody's looking? Yeah, obviously you can't, there's an unwritten rule in golf, that code of ethics. And I think that helps you in life as well. Talking about group activities, you've done a bunch of fishing trips to Canada uh, that's really common for people that live in the northern part of the U.S. Those are great family times, aren't they? Oh, man, it was awesome. I, you know, growing up in North Dakota or North Dakota, as I like, you know, bring up my North Dakota accent, Minnesota, don't you know? Um, but that was always our trip. Uh, every year, my dad and, and myself and my uncles and my cousins and my my two grandpas, one of them's now 94 years old on the flasher on the farm in Flasher, North Dakota, but I, every, every late May, early June, we spent, we went up for a week and we just went fishing, um, and had a great time up in Canada. So I've been up there about 15 times now, but just great family times, uh, to do that. And as my, my daughter is nine and my son is six, we've already started the discussions of, you know, I think we got to start planning on when we, my dad, who's now the grandpa and myself and my son or daughter want to go up there as well. So it should be fun. And you have to wait till that time of year to make sure you aren't ice fishing. That's exactly correct. We actually went on some trips. Again, we always went in late May, early June. It was always like May 29th to June 5th, something like that. And there were times when we went up there and it was up to Flin Flon, Manitoba, about an hour west of there, just into Saskatchewan. There were trips where the north half of the lake was still frozen and we were fishing on the southern half of the lake. So, yeah, you know, I didn't want to do ice fishing. I wanted to fish uh, uh, through the water, you know. So I'm curious in your optometry path, what influenced or who influenced you to think about getting involved in eye care? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't have I have an interesting story. I don't know if it's the best story. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a Plano sphere. I'm an emetrope. I have no you know, a lot of my classmates are minus 10s or minus 11s. My best buddy was a plus six in optometry school. So they were seeing the eye doctor from the beginning. And I'm a Plano sphere. Um, but my best buddy growing up, his dad's an optometrist. And so I got to, you know, hung out with Ben a ton. We played basketball together. We played sports together. And I noticed, you know, boy, his dad lives in a big house. He's got like six TVs. He had NFL Sunday ticket. We went and we went and watched football at his house every Sunday. He lived on the lake. And I'm like, God, he works like four days a week. And he's got all this big house and TVs. I think that's what I want to do as well. I want to. So it's probably not the right reason. Um, but, you know, I certainly I always loved science. I always I knew I wanted to do something in healthcare, And that's kind of what got started from when I was about a freshman in high school. And it never really changed. And you ended up after college going to Pacific University for your OD degree, as did your wife, who was just ahead of you in school. What part of your education stands out to you today? What really influenced you while you're at Pacific? A couple of things. Um, I was very, very fortunate. First, I followed my wife out to Pacific. She was a year ahead of me. We just happened to meet at undergrad. And what are you going into? Optometry. Well, what are you going into? Optometry. Great. Um, and most Dakotans head west to Pacific University. It's probably 70 to 80% of North Dakota grads have went to Pacific. Um, and what sticks out, you know, I had a couple of great mentors through optometry school. Dr. Blair Lonsberry, uh, clinical faculty, uh, just a great guy at Pacific University. He was my only attending doctor my third year of optometry school. So I got to spend a whole year with him and kind of grow with him. Um, and then my fourth year going on different rotations 
spent three months with a neuro-ophthalmologist, an ODDO neuro-ophthalmologist, Dr. Leo Scorin, who's at the Mayo Health Clinic in Minnesota. And that really shaped why I love the disease. I love the surgical aspect. I almost dropped out of optometry school to go back to medical school, you know, in third or fourth year. Um, the advice of Blair and Leo and Rich Castillo said, you know, if you really like this stuff, Oklahoma is going to fit you well. And that's where Blair recommended, he goes, Nate, you got to interview for residency in Oklahoma. I wasn't going to go there. I wanted to go to a VA hospital in Kansas City. Um, and Blair goes, you know, you should have a backup option. And I think you should uh, go to Oklahoma. So I interviewed at both of them. And it turned out my backup option was the one that I wanted to go to. Uh, and the rest is history. I had a classmate that I found out many years later, got his OD degree and then went to medical school and ended up becoming a surgeon, I believe, uh, in the cardiac surgery area. And I'd love to connect with that guy. It's going to be a sandbox story for the future. But I've also interviewed uh, for the audience, uh, Dr. Rich Castillo, who's a DOOD, who is an incredible speaker and, and talks a lot about the path toward eye care. And I want to get to that issue of you thinking about dropping out and going to med school and pursuing ophthalmology. What was that like at that moment? How did you end up um, coming to think that that maybe was the best path? Well, and it, it, again, it probably was shame on me. I should have done more, you know, more um, uh, digging into what should I go into. When I was an undergrad, I never shadowed an ophthalmologist. I just shadowed an optometrist when I thought, thought I liked that. And I love it. I love the profession. But when I got into school, I, I realized, boy, yeah, you can go into vision therapy or pediatrics or low vision or primary care or run your own private practice. But I love this ocular disease stuff, and especially the glaucoma, the, the retina, the, the front of the eye, and especially the surgery. And I went, man, I love this surgical aspect. And, you know, if you want to be a surgeon, if you want to, you know, largely, if you want to do cataract surgery and all that stuff, you got to be an ophthalmologist. So I contemplated leaving optometry school, ultimately decided against it. Uh, and that's why, again, it was Rich Castillo, among others, that said, you know, Oklahoma is going to be a good fit for you because of the law. At the time, in 2008, 2009, Oklahoma was the only state that had uh, laser privileges. Um, but since then, that has expanded. So you get to this residency in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, at Northeastern State University College of Optometry, and you're interested in disease. But something gave you a push toward a career in education. What was it that clicked for you while you were there? Yeah, it was it was just working. It was never the plan. I, I didn't go into optometry school thinking I was going to be in academia. If you would have asked me on day one of my fourth year, the start of my fourth year, you're going to be living in Oklahoma and you're going to be in academia. I don't went. There's no way. Where's Oklahoma? I've never been to Oklahoma before. I'm a North Dakota boy. And again, thanks to Blair, among others. And then I got to my residency and it's like, wow, I you know, did 50 plus laser procedures and, and worked with, uh, that was just during my residency, and worked with students and worked with residents and just, just you know, experienced the collegiality among that faculty. Oklahoma is a special place when it comes to optometry. Again, and I can, I'm not biased because I wasn't there with that, but you got down to Oklahoma and you realized that state association is so cool. They work together so well. It's one of the reasons they've led the nation. But that really made me go, you know what? I think we're going to stay. Now, the other thing that helped was my wife was a year ahead of me. So she was a fourth year when I was a third year. She was a resident when I was a fourth year. Uh, and then when I was a resident, she was done with her residency. And they had five open faculty positions at the time. And when I interviewed for residency, they said, wait, your wife is just about to finish her residency? 
we'll take her and oh we'll take you as well Nate but we really want her so I think they took me because they wanted her uh when that so that's part of the reason we stayed as well you talked a little bit about Oklahoma's scope of practice law and the power of the state association to achieve it and I don't think that doctors in other states necessarily understand it other than it's a place where various types of laser procedures in, in particular can be done and we both know it's it's more than that Tell us a little bit about your experience from the academic side of supporting the state through this process of getting the legislature to understand the value of the care of optometrists. Yeah, we've been very fortunate um, to do a lot of continuing education, a lot of training in the advanced scope arena, uh, traveling to all these states. You know, Kentucky became state number two and Louisiana was state number three. And now there's there's currently uh, nine states that are allowing optometrists to do laser procedures. but, you know, being part of those training courses, you got to lay the foundation, you got to do the didactic lectures, you got to have that knowledge. And the biggest part of that course that we always hear is it demystifies things going, OK, I thought this was some complicated, super complex. You had to go to medical school to do that. And you, you certainly have to lay that foundation. But optometry has much of that. We always say you started learning to do laser procedures on day one of optometry school. Now, certainly we're going to fine tune that. We're going to tweak this during the courses that we put on. We bring lasers in. They get hands on with the lasers during introductory labs and then high level labs as they're doing procedures. But it's been fun to see doctors kind of their eyes light up going, ah, you know what? I can do this. I am. Excuse me. I am trained to do this. Um, So it's been fun to be part of that. Yeah, and I want to give you a, a thanks thanks for all of the effort you have made in states, including in my home state of Wisconsin, where you supported the educational basis of the doctor of optometry. This isn't flim flam, right? This is real scientific optometric education focused on the underpinnings and then the actual procedures. And uh, I just love what you've done. So thank you for doing all that. Yeah, you mean so you got to lay the foundation. Like we we start with laser physics and laser tissue interactions and these intro labs, and then you get into lectures on the clinical material. Here's what you do pre-op. Here's what you do post-op. Here's procedural technique. Here's what to look out for for any potential adverse events. I mean, that's how you learn it. Then we have video grand rounds where we go through, show a bunch of videos going, here's the actual procedure being performed. Um, and then we get into the lab. So again, people look, take that course and they, they tend to be very, very pleased at the outcome and they're ready to go and fired up about laser procedures after that course. As for the College of Optometry at NSU, it opened in 1979 and it's in Tahlequah because of the partnership with Cherokee Nation. And I'd like you to give a sense of how profound that partnership has been. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very deep partnership and a very great, it's a mutually beneficial partnership for both parties. Again, it was put there in 1979, Northeastern State University in Tahlequah. When I, when I say NSU or Northeastern State University, people think we're often in Boston or something like that, but it was put at Northeastern State University. It's a regional university in Oklahoma, in Tahlequah, because of the relationship with the Cherokee Nation, a built-in underserved patient base where we can we have no problem getting patient encounters. We have most of our clinics at over one-year wait times. So most schools that send their students out, like I went to the Mayo Clinic in the VA hospital during my fourth year, we only send our students out for eight weeks because we have all of these patient encounters to see here in Tahlequah. So we benefit from having this huge population, this huge patient base, 
and certainly Cherokee Nation benefits by the state-of-the-art technology, all of these expert faculty. So we provide the care for the Cherokee Nation regarding their eyes, and it's, it's really been a great relationship. We have uh, 11 locations at the College of Optometry, and nine of them are within Cherokee Nation facilities. They're right in those facilities, and our faculty and students go into those facilities and care for their patients. The 10th and 11th one also see Cherokee citizens almost exclusively as well. So really all 11 locations, we are primarily focused on caring for those Native American patients. And what an incredible partnership. Does Northeastern State University more broadly serve the Cherokee Nation as well with other services, educational services? I don't know if you know that, but I'm curious. They do. Yeah, we're the only we're the only doctoral program through Northeastern State University, but they do have occupational therapy. They have physical therapy. So there are other they have nurse uh, programs as well. Um, so they uh, they do serve the Cherokee Nation through other um, avenues as well. All right. So you've done a bunch of traveling as director of continuing education. As I said earlier, you come to Wisconsin and I'm sure you're appropriately proud of the results of your educating of colleagues. I know you said earlier, it's so obvious for the doctors, but tell us a little bit about the reluctant, recalcitrant doc, um, might be younger, might be older, doesn't matter, and, and sort of the journey that they go on to understand advanced cares. Maybe it's lid procedures or something that um, they're uncertain about. I'm sure you've got some great stories or an anecdote about a doctor who came from here to there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we start that course on a Thursday and we end on a Sunday. And again, you can just see the light bulb go off at some point during the weekend. You know, maybe it's Thursday and Friday when we're doing the surgical procedures course. And they thought, boy, I don't know if I would ever stick a needle in somebody. But that's not that's not the refraction. It's not the contact lenses that a doc maybe was trained on 30, 35 years ago. You know, we used to be a dropless profession, as you know, and it's just evolved in advance. So I've seen a lot of big smiles on faces as they've, you know, as they've worked on the eyelids and then they've done these procedures and, um, and after they've, their law has passed and just a smile on their face. Same thing with the laser procedures. When they sit down at a laser and they go, okay, my right hand is on the joystick. My left hand is on the illumination tower, moving it back and forth. I'm behind the oculars. Wait, I, I have those skills already. You know, I've been doing that for decades and decades, and they do these procedures on these model eyes, and they do a fantastic job. So there's been a tremendous, so just the, the smiles on their face as you go throughout the four days uh, has been something, that, again, all the time. De boy, this really demystified things, you know, and it's, 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 it's awesome to see that. All right, so enough of the pleasantries. I got a bone to pick with you. Between sure. Being a Vikings fan and a Tom Brady fan, you're killing me as a Packers fan. Um, yeah, okay, Wisconsin, you know, that's Michigan. Tom Brady, the Michigan boy, right? And then the Vikings as well. So fortunately, you know, you as a Packer fan, you can always hold those, how many Super Bowls? Four Super Bowls over my head of the big fat goose egg for the Vikings and they are Owen. Fortunately, I've never seen a Super Bowl loss. The Vikings being Owen four in Super Bowls. I've never seen it. I always I had a trouble. My dad is a burnt out Viking fan. I grew he saw the passion that I had and he always just like, I can't watch. I can't because he experienced the 1970s. Well, I'm getting to that point because we're Owen five in NFC title games to go to the Super Bowl. So, you know, you win that one in, in terms of football, Scott. Well, and Brady got us at Lambeau last year to go to the Super Bowl. So anyway, yep. you, you've picked some decent franchises and people. I'll, I'll let it go. Yep. <laughs> the, other, the other thing that we have is more of a similarity is that I would call us vicarious pilots. 
Um, you said you have an aviation interest. We're not pilots. Uh, my yep. father-in-law has flown for years. I've, I've loved to be with him. I, I like to study it. Do you think you'll ever go on and take flight training? It, it must feel like an educational process that you could go through and be successful in. You know, maybe, maybe somewhere down the line, maybe when the kids get a little older, my wife is hesitant on, on letting me go in the air. I just love to fly, though. I mean, I travel pretty much every week somewhere, uh, lecturing and talking to a group of docs somewhere. Oftentimes it's on lasers, but a lot of times it's not as well on many topics. And I just love to fly. Just something about that aviation process, just super cool. So, you know, someday I would love to be a pilot and love to fly on my own. Again, it may be a decade or two down the road when the kids get a little bit bigger. Um, so we'll see. Give us a little insight into what it's like to be a speaker on the circuit. A lot of us consume information from people that do what you said you do. Um, obviously, you have to have a strong support network at home, and you and your wife clearly have that. But what is it like to show up, not know a lot of people, to do the information sharing? Um, how much work goes into developing the product you deliver, the lectures and such? Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of work. Um, I just got done lecturing six hours in uh, down in Texas uh, on Sunday, and that's six hours that you have to make sure is up to date. And especially early in the course of your uh, lecturing, uh, you got to develop these lectures. You know, once they're developed, the work is maybe a little bit less, but it's still a process and still work to keep them up to date. Back in the early days when I was starting to do this, um, I used to rehearse my lecture. So every hour of lecture, I would give it in my office two or three times before I would go present it. Because again, the, I'm still developing these lectures. I'm trying to fine tune my lecture skills. Uh, the faculty member that has the office right next to me must've just hated it and heard me just talking because I did it out loud. I walked in my office and just and went through the lecture. Well, imagine if you do six hours of lecture, that's 12 to 18 hours of prep on there. So it was a lot of work back in the day and it still is. But I tell you what, it is, it's, it's the most fun thing that I do other than family stuff, obviously with the kids and my wife. Um, I love traveling. I love talking to the doctors and I learn more from them than they could ever learn from me. It's amazing how docs will play. Hey, I saw a case like this. I saw this last week. No, oh, that's really interesting. I've never seen that before. That's really cool. And, you know, I always remember a, a tip or a pearl that Blair Lonsberry told me back in the day before I did my very first lecture. I was a resident and I gave one hour of continuing education on uveitis back in, that would have been February of 2010. I graduated in 09. I finished my residency in June of 2010. But in February of 10, I did a one hour on uveitis. And I remember I was really nervous. I'm like, oh my, what are these, these doctors don't have anything to learn from me. And Blair said, he goes, Nate, every single one of those docs in there, they want you to succeed. And none of them are going to go out of their way to try to embarrass you, to try to make you look bad. They, they're rooting for you. Just they always do that. People, and, and that's absolutely true is, you know, the docs out there, they're very respectful. They want to learn and I want to learn from them as well. So it's just fun. It's just a great time. It's, it's the evidence of collegiality. It's really at the core of optometry and I'm thrilled you get to experience it. We'll hit one final topic. Um, yep. I've asked a lot of Sandbox Stories guests about the need for a deeper applicant pool in optometry. And so from your perspective as an educator, give your advice to the audience and how they can influence the young people around them to think about the profession of optometry as a career. Yeah, I would encourage every doctor or every staff member, administrator, whoever's listening to this, every time that you have a high school student, maybe it's even a junior high student, probably a high school student, an undergrad student, 
show them all the diversity that is in optometry from being a business owner to ocular disease, to contact lenses, to low vision, everything that they, because they may not be interested in a couple aspects. I have no interest in contact lenses and in low vision and things like that, but I love ocular disease and the surgical side. We need more qualified applicants in, in the optometry pool uh, as more and more schools have opened up. And the sooner that we can get that interest with those students and show them what a great profession this is, because I know you believe it's a great profession and I believe it's just a tremendous profession as well, uh, the better it's going to be. So um, keep working on them young, talking to those people, talking to high school students, undergrad students, visit, visiting different clubs, things like that. Invite them into your office and talk to them about optometry. I believe we're better today than we were 50 years ago. And I think we're going to be better 10 years from now, 20 years from now, as we continue to evolve and advance. And here's the thing, you know, as the population is aging, we're very, very much needed. Ophthalmology numbers are pretty static, maybe even slightly declining a little bit, depending on who you talk about. And our numbers are going up and up, and we are going to be forced to care for patients with diabetes, diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma, cataracts, AMD, contact lenses. We're a very diverse, wide profession and very needed. So I think the future is bright. So you've told us a lot about advice you've gotten. Um, what's the best life advice you've ever gotten? The best life advice that I've ever gotten um, was from my dad. Um, and, uh, you know, I just love my parents so much. My dad is just a great, great guy. So was my mom, great gal. But just, just to have fun. You know, keep, stay, keep positive. Always, life is too short to to be negative. And you know, it, life. There's the saying: if life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And you know that, and everybody knows that very well. But every single day, trying to be positive and make it a good day. And I always tell my kids this: every interaction that you have, you want you want to leave that interaction with that other person going, "Man, that was a fun interaction. I enjoyed my time with Scott. You know, I enjoyed my time with Nate or whoever it was." So every interaction, I at least try, and certainly we, we never succeed 100% of the time, but try to give that interaction of positivity, have fun. I'm just Nate. You're just Scott. We're just, we're just two guys, right? Having a conversation, you know, this, I'm a doctor and, you know, sometimes the arrogance that's out there in the world, we don't have time for that. You know, we're just a couple of guys chatting and that's what I try to every single day to go, you can call me Nate and let's, let's have some fun, you know? That's fantastic. This is Dr. Nate Lighthizer, and I have had fun. Thank you for sharing your many stories here on Sandbox Stories. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here as well. Great fun. And to the audience, thanks for attending. Pay attention to what they're doing in Northeastern State University, College of Optometry in Tahlequah. It's amazing stuff. And until my next Sandbox Story, be great at all you do.